Thank you, young people. What a beautiful song. And as I was sitting there listening to that, 10 young people, all from the same church. Wouldn't it be something if five years from now, 10 years from now, there were 10 young people up here as students from Cross Point Baptist Church in Pasadena singing together? Young people that right now aren't even saved yet, but because there's a church there, that could be, that could be them. Wouldn't it be something if there were 10 young people up here in 10 years from a church that hasn't even been planted yet? Some little kid on the streets of L.A. right now. No direction, no hope, nobody that really cares or loves him. But if somebody would go down there and start a lighthouse, that little boy could get saved and be at West Coast one day. It's not a far-fetched thought. Somebody reached those 10. Somebody started a church in Raleigh-Durham. Somebody started mentoring some kids, and now they're in Bible college and preparing to serve the Lord. That needs to happen over and over and again, but it starts with the planting of a local church. I'm thankful we have Pastor Jack Lamb here today and another church that has just begun, really. It's got a little longer history than Pasadena. I'm so thankful for Pastor Lamb. I wish we had time to hear his whole testimony, how God has blessed his life. There was a time when Pastor Lamb didn't think he'd be alive today. There was a time when Pastor Lamb was told he was going blind. There was a time when Pastor Lamb was told he'd probably never walk. Yet God has done a miracle in his life physically. And through all those storms and Things that we've sung about today, Pastor Lamb's just been faithful. God took him to plant the Anchor Baptist Church in Covina, California, part of the L.A. Basin. And how glad I am that he would come up today and preach for us. Brother Lamb, you come. Let's welcome Pastor Jack Lamb as he comes today. Amen. Well, thank you. Um, are we going to all stand the whole time, or what are we going to do here? How about we turn to Acts chapter 18, because that's where we're going to read in a moment. You know, I've been in this auditorium many times. Uh, first time was back in 2000, coming to a leadership conference. And I have to say the view is a little different from up here uh, than where I've usually been. I really appreciate the invitation to be with you today, and uh, I want to go ahead and read Acts chapter 18 and uh, ask the Lord to teach us uh, about our only hope in church planning. So let's read the scripture together. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. 
And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word that you've spoken to us and this story that you have given to us to teach us uh, not only about the advance of the gospel uh, under Paul's ministry, but the only hope that we have in your work, the, the only source that we can go to for strength and for wisdom and power. And God, I pray today that you might use this passage of Scripture to strip away all of our confidence in the flesh, all of our confidence in our plans and our ways, and help us, Lord, to place all of our hope in you. That you, you are the only one with the wisdom that's needed for churches to be planted. You are the only one with the power to change the lives, to awaken those who are so slumbered in their sin. God, we look to you as our only hope. And I pray you might use this passage to stir in our hearts that our only hope is you, and that hope is more than enough. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I've been asked to share a little bit about uh, our story of planning a church in Covina. And it was uh, January of 2014. We had our first service, so we're coming up on five years in just, uh, just a few months away. And uh, like Brother Jones, I'm also from Georgia. I don't know if you knew this connection today, but it's the Georgia, Georgians come to California Church Planner Day. And um, I actually came, I, I was in Arizona pastoring a church and the Lord was working on my heart about coming to California to plant a church. And uh, as I was thinking about that, one thought was really predominant in my mind. Um, that sounds expensive. <laughs> it sounds expensive to move to Southern California. Um, I, I know that uh, many churches have been in the LA area and uh, many have failed. Uh, as Brother Getch said, I didn't realize that was, there was that many. There's three that I know of just in the LA area that have closed their doors since our church started. Uh, some that started before us, some that started after us and have closed their doors. Uh, according to uh, BIMI, just under 40% of church plants do not survive the first four years. Part of the reason for that in Southern California is it is expensive. Uh, there's other obstacles. Uh, not everyone is excited about church planning. Uh, you'd think that they would be, but it's not. 
Uh, finding a location is very difficult. Uh, you've got zoning problems, you've got money problems, you have lots of issues to overcome with that. Um, did I mention it's expensive? Yeah. Um, yet in spite of many obstacles, um, I, I'm here to tell you that God is still in the business of reaching people with the gospel, of seeing them baptized and seeing them join to a local church and grow and serve him. Uh, God is still building his church in places that are expensive, in places that are difficult. Um, I'd love to tell you a, a lot of different stories, but I really want to see the most important story uh, here in Acts today. But let me just tell you about one young man named Philip. Uh, Philip's a remarkable kid because he's come to our church a couple times. He's a college-age student. And one morning, I'm preaching this message about the wrath of God and judgment on sin. I mean, really exciting stuff. Everyone's smiling and just thrilled to be in church. And all of a sudden, Philip gets up and he leaves. And I thought, well, that's happened before once where somebody left in the middle of a message. But what I didn't know is God was working on his heart and he went out to the back and he was troubled about his soul. And one of our men that was serving as an usher went out and talked to him and led him to Christ right outside the church. And then he came back in smiling and sat down and heard the rest of the message. And, and Philip is a young man that's growing in the Lord and has an excitement about serving the Lord and trying to tell others about the gospel. Uh, God is working uh, through his word like he always promised to do. I could also mention that we have a, a building that the Lord's given to us. It's, it's not much, just a few million dollars worth of property that God's uh, given to us. Okay, that's a really big blessing, in case you don't know that. That's, God has been so good to us. And I could tell you lots of exciting stories. Uh, I really could, and every church planner could come up and do them. But I really want you to know something. In spite of all these blessings... There are lots of untold burdens. And Brother Jones could get up here and tell you about God's blessings. And there's lots of unannounced burdens and struggles and difficulties there. Things have definitely not gone the way I've dreamed, the way he's dreamed, or any other uh, church planner getting started. Uh, after we got to our new property, we had this amazing uh, thing given to us, and we were so excited about it. I, I just knew, I knew that Anchor Baptist Church was just about to explode and grow. Well, some things exploded, but it wasn't the growth kind of exploding. Things haven't always gone the way that I anticipated they would go. No matter what you attempt for God, there's going to be obstacles, I'm telling you the truth, every successful servant of God that you see come up here to this pulpit has many unannounced problems and difficulties and burdens. It can seem sometimes that the trials are so great that you don't know how to get through them or if you will get through them. You don't know how to keep going. So brothers and sisters, are you discouraged yet? Um, I'm certainly not trying to discourage you, but I want you to hear this and I want you to listen carefully. Planning a new church in Southern California that will grow to maturity is almost hopeless. Dr. Getchum, not sure if that's what you had in mind when I was invited, but I want you to hear again, planning a new church in Southern California that will grow to maturity is almost hopeless. 
In Acts chapter 18, we see the Apostle Paul heading to another city that seemed hopeless to plant a church. But it wasn't hopeless, just almost hopeless. The background of this story is Paul's on his second missionary journey. Uh, It has been a difficult one. Uh, They left with great excitement and, and went to go where God would have them to reach people with the gospel. And the Lord kept redirecting them. And finally, they got a vision, the Macedonian call. Uh, to come over into Macedonia and help us. So Paul and his team were excited to go where God would have them to go, and they went and they began preaching in Philippi, and pretty quickly they got beaten and thrown into jail. (laughs) Then they got escorted out of town, and they went to Thessalonica, where again they began preaching, and the Jews there chased them out of town. Uh, From Thessalonica, they ran off to Berea and began preaching there. In a a very short amount of time, the Thessalonians were so mad at Paul that they came all the way to Berea and stirred up everyone there. And Paul was forced to leave uh, Berea, and he made his way alone to Athens, left behind a few co-workers, Silas and Timothy. And so there is a great difficulty in the work. Paul is alone in Athens. He preaches. There's a little bit of response, but not very much. He comes to the city of Corinth. And uh, I'm sure you've learned a little bit about the city of Corinth. If Athens was known for its philosophy and idolatry, then Corinth was known for its worldliness and immorality. Uh, To Corinthianize was a word that was synonymous in the ancient world with to prostitute. Uh, The city uh, of Corinth had a reputation like we might look around the world today and say, well, Amsterdam over in Europe or Las Vegas, uh, or maybe you might even say San Francisco uh, in California and say there is a place of depravity. Uh, Corinth stood at the crossroads of trade, both on land and on sea. So lots of people were traveling through. And I don't know if they said it back then, but they probably could have said it. You know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Paul comes into this city by himself. And he did not come in overflowing with confidence, amazed to see what great stories he was going to be able to send back to Antioch about his church planting adventures in Corinth. No, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, the way he came into town, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul was alone and he had no resources. He had no money. He had no backing. There was opposition everywhere he went. The Jews were getting more hostile. The government itself was getting more hostile. This passage, I think, has bad news and good news for every would-be church planner. The bad news is that the work is almost hopeless. In fact, you only have one hope. The good news is your one hope is sure. Your one hope is enough. What we're going to see in Acts 18 is we're going to see what our only hope is. Uh, First, I want to see what the church planner's only hope is. And if we have time, we're going to see what the world's only hope is. So what is the church planner's hope? His only hope is this. It is God and his word. It is the word of God and God himself. Nothing else will get you through. Every other hope will disappoint you in God's work. The arm of flesh will fail you. But God and his word are always sufficient. 
In Acts 18, there's four encouragements that God gives to Paul, showing him that he is sufficient for this task. The first one is God gives him opportunities. There's just practical opportunities. As Paul comes into town alone and desolate, God allows him to meet two Christians, Aquila and Priscilla, two people that he is able to work together with. They just happen to be there. They just happen to be of the same trade that Paul was. And Paul just happened to meet them. This wasn't just a happening. This wasn't just an accident. God was providing an opportunity for Paul. Paul had the opportunity to work with Aquila and Priscilla. He didn't have financial support. He had a skill that he'd learned apparently long before. Before he ever was going to plant churches, somewhere in the past he was learning to make tents. And God used that now to give him an opportunity. You may be here and you may say, I can't wait to get out of college and get my opportunity to do something for God. I, I remember when I was in Bible college, there were guys that dropped out of school because they, they, they weren't going to waste any more time right here. They were going to go out and do something for God and they were going to do it right, right now. Well, Paul apparently did some work before and it paid off later. I think a lesson for each of you is don't despise the work you do now. God has you in a place right now to learn some skills that later on will open up opportunities for you to serve the Lord. You may say, well, I don't like the ministry that I got assigned to or the people that I'm serving with here. Listen, whatever your hand has found it to do right now, you need to do it with your might because the work that you do now prepares later for opportunities that God has for you. God prepared Paul and he prepared Aquila and Priscilla to come here. Uh, look at verse number three. Notice why did they come to Corinth? It says because that Claudius... Claudius is the emperor of Rome. He had commanded the Jews to depart from Rome. He had kicked them all out. God had led these two fellow Christians to leave Rome and come, come to Corinth. Now, why did Claudius do that? Well, there's a, a Roman historian by the name of Suetonius uh, who wrote a biography of Claudius and some other emperors. And he says that Claudius expelled all the Jews because the Jews were in a constant uproar in Rome. Uh, Suetonius said it's something about a guy named Crestus. There's this uproar in Rome. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot to put this together and say that the gospel had come to the synagogue of Rome. And the preaching of Jesus Christ had caused a stir just like it did everywhere else. And Claudius didn't know what to do with this ruckus that's going on. So he kicks all the Jews out. What Claudius meant for evil, God meant for good. Because he sent Aquila and Priscilla right to Corinth to begin their work making tents. Because he knew there was going to be this lonely missionary come into town with no opportunities to make it. But God provided opportunities. God also gave Paul ministry opportunities here. He didn't have the best of circumstances. He spent his weekdays in the crowded marketplace of Corinth, laboring with his tools, seeking to speak to anyone he could, I'm sure, about the gospel. But he's laboring to stay alive, to feed himself, 
to, to see and wait for uh, Timothy and Silas to come so that they can engage in the work. But he doesn't wait. He doesn't wait for ideal circumstances to begin doing this work. God had given him an opportunity and he seized it. So he went to the synagogue and he preached there. Apparently, he wasn't able to spend his time during the week. This is kind of his part-time ministry, preaching the word. What was this an ideal situation for him to plant a church? Before we came to Covina, we visited a bunch of churches all over America, told them about the need, told them about the opportunity, and God provided uh, financial support for us. So we were able to move into Covina, and I didn't have to look around for someone that could make tents that I could work with. I, I had all of that supplied for me. Uh, God graciously provided that. But Paul didn't have the best of circumstances here. I'm sure, I'm sure this would not meet his expectations. Uh, this wasn't his dream situation. But it was the opportunity that God gave him. I find that some, some guys get discouraged because they're waiting for just the ideal circumstances to come along. They're waiting for the perfect opportunity. Listen, Christ is building his church, but he's not obligated to do it the way I want him to do it or he's not obligated to do it the way you want. Your expectations are, are not the things that God must fulfill to keep his word. God will keep his promises, but he doesn't promise to keep my expectations. So whatever your circumstances are right now, listen, God wants you to take advantage of the opportunities he's given you. He, he's provided in a way for you to be here to have opportunities to serve. Seize those. Seize those. Don't wait around and, and be lazy and make excuses and say, well, it's just not the way I thought it was going to be. No, seize the opportunities that come to you from God's good hand. Uh, where you're at and, and what you're experiencing, the opportunities you have, they come from God. Thank Him for them and seize them. Paul is here, uh, and another way God encourages him is found down in verse number 5, and that is God gives Paul some resources. In verse 5, uh, God provides resources, as he often does, for men who accept responsibility. If you seize the opportunity that God gives you, God will provide you what you need to take advantage of that opportunity. So faithfulness in your present opportunities, it leads to greater opportunities. It leads to God working greater in other ways. How did God give him resources? Well, he gave him two men, Timothy and Silas, two fellow laborers, experienced servants of God. They came with good news. Paul had been worried about the new believers that they had left behind and the persecutions they endured. And Silas and Timothy came with good news that, hey, the church in Thessalonica, they're doing good. They're withstanding the persecution. They're holding fast to the faith. Paul, when he heard this news, he was greatly comforted. But Silas and Timothy didn't just bring manpower. They also brought money. The resources that God gave him were financial. Uh, according to 2 Corinthians 11 and Philippians 4, when Paul first went to this region where Corinth is at, Achaia, there was one church that gave to him. It was the church in Philippi. Uh, these resources were brought by Timothy and Silas, and they were a huge blessing 
uh, to Paul. God was providing for his needs. So just a little tip in case you didn't know this. If you would really like to encourage a church planner, just offer to help him and give him money. It really is a great big, great big encouragement, just in case you were unaware of that. What does Paul do in response to these new resources that God has brought to him? Here he's got some co-laborers, he's got funds, uh, apparently a significant amount where he's able to lay aside his, uh, his tent making and focus entirely on the work of reaching people in Corinth with the gospel. It says in verse 5 that Paul was pressed in the spirit. It's such an interesting term. Paul, Paul looked at the blessings that God had given to him. He looked at the opportunities before him. And in spite of his fear that he had initially, Paul seized the opportunity that was here. He, he felt compelled to do it. In spite of his fears, he had to lay aside his tent-making tools and devote himself to preaching. He could not, and he would not hold back. Brothers and sisters that are here today, would you, would you consider the blessings that God has given to you? What opportunities and resources has the Lord put into your hands? None of them have come accidentally. You were made to bring glory to God and to participate in this great work of the great commission in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So let's put away our excuses. Let's put away our laziness and let's seize the opportunities that God has given us. Uh, what else does God give Paul? He gives him here opportunity and resources, but he also gives him some results. Now we get to the exciting part. Paul is fully back church planner, and he just goes out, uh, both gun barrels blazing, and what happens? Uh, he preaches about Jesus, and in verse 6, his renewed zeal led to rejection by most. And this doesn't quite have the fairy tale ending you were expecting. Uh, Paul preaches and the people oppose themselves and blaspheme. And Paul gets kicked out of his meeting place. I mean, there is exciting things going on. But there are times of great disappointment and great struggle. Now, I, I don't know, but if I put myself in Paul's shoes, I can imagine how I'd feel on this missionary journey. At first, I'd be a little confused because everywhere I tried to go, God directed me somewhere else. And then I got this Macedonian call to come over into Philippi, and I eagerly would go there to preach and, and be beaten and thrown into prison. That's, that's not what I expected. <laughs> and then to go to Thessalonica and be chased out of town, and no sooner you get to the next place and start preaching, and there's more obstacles, and you go on to Athens by yourself and don't see much happen. You get here to Corinth, and God gives you a little bit of opportunity. Some resources come in. Now you're ready. And there's opposition again. It's like beating your head against the wall. I mean, you want to reach the whole city for Christ, and you're struggling to reach a room full. Paul is here. And yet it's not that there's no good fruit, because it says in verse number 7, that there was a house next door that opened itself to Paul, and that verse 8 says Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, converted. So Paul uh, retreats from the synagogue, and he goes next door 
Notice again how opposition is building against Paul. The way, he, the way he responded to the Jews who rejected him by shaking the dust off his garments and saying, enough of you, your blood's on your own head, I'm out of here. I'm sure that just inflamed their hatred against him. And then to move next door and realize, wait a minute, the Jews in the synagogue say, Where, what happened to Crispus? Crispus left us and now he's over there with Paul? Paul is destroying everything. Paul's retreated into the house next door, ministering to those that want to hear. What can he do? How, how can he face this opposition? Are they going to come and drag him out and whip him again? Is tomorrow going to be the day that they escort him out of town and leave him buried under a pile of rocks? And when you understand Paul's situation, you begin to understand the fear that he must have felt. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul, Paul did not get afraid. Paul was a superhero, man. He, he wore a cape. Uh, he did not get afraid. Paul was a man. Paul faced difficulties by his own admission. I read earlier, 1 Corinthians 2, he said he was there with them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In spite of all the things God was doing to encourage Paul and show him he was there and he was with him and he was working through him, things were not going the way you would draw them up to go. And here is a crucial point you're going to face in serving the Lord, in one day in future ministry, maybe in planting a church or maybe going to the mission field, maybe being a pastor here in the States. You're going to face a crossroads where you thought everything was going to go one way. And you devoted your heart to serving God and it didn't work the way you wanted. Then what are you going to do? At this point, I'd like you to imagine a brief conversation with me. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with Paul and his associates. Paul says, Silas... Um, our church really isn't very big, you know. We've got all these resources, but um, it isn't growing as fast as I thought. I'm kind of discouraged with the results, and I'm, I'm really I'm kind of concerned about the opposition that we're facing. And so Silas says, well, um, let's get together with Timothy, see if we can come up with some ideas. So Timothy chimes in and says, I, I know, I know what's going to do it. Let's give away a hundred bikes next Sunday, and then everyone will come. Uh, let's make sure, Paul, you know, you know how to work with, with tents. Let's put that to new use, and you're going to invent bounce houses. We're going to put bounce houses everywhere. Everybody knows, Paul, that if you're going to reach young families, you need to have lots of exciting activities for them. And Silas says, hey, that's a great idea. I bet... I bet if we started advertising our gluten-free vegan cookies at the reception desk, that more people would flock to Corinth First Baptist Church. Now, obviously, I'm having a, a, little, bit of, uh, a little bit of fun here. But there's a reason you can't imagine Paul and Timothy and Silas having a conversation like that. It's not just because they weren't very innovative. It's not because they were old-fashioned. 
It's because they made decisions about what they were going to do. What they were going to do is they were going to say, our only hope for reaching people is God himself and his word. We are going to preach the gospel. We are going to confront people with the reality that, that they are sinners and that they need a savior. They determined, they determined that they would not appeal to the flesh to get results because that was opposite of biblical ministry. Think with me about this for a minute. When you go to the lost with the gospel, you are preaching a message that is absolutely contrary to their flesh. You are calling them to admit that they are an idolater at heart, that they are a rebel against the one true God. You are calling them to confess that they are in deep trouble because of their sin, that God's judgment is on them, that they will spend eternity in hell if they do not repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message that demands a denial of self, a, a death to self. It's a, a message that confronts people and says, you, you must repent and believe. That is the opposite, the opposite of methods that are designed to appeal to the flesh to get people in. I'm concerned that at the crossroads of disappointment in church planning, that you'll be tempted to turn to anything you can do to get people in the door. And I want you to know, you only have one hope for church planning. There's only one way this is going to work. It's God and his word. It's not the wisdom of this world. It's not the trends of our day. It is God and his word. God and his word our only hope. What did Paul do at this crossroads? Well, here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The world thinks it's silly to walk into town with the gospel. They expect something more. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Listen, he says, for the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Brothers and sisters, if we want to see God work, we have one hope. It is God and his word. It is God and his word. What else does God do to encourage Paul? How about a little personal visit? Uh, look down at this fourth encouragement in verse 9 and 10. God gives himself. He is the church planner's only hope. God confirms his presence to Paul in the night by a vision. He says, be not afraid, but speak. Say, how do you know Paul was afraid? Well, he said he was in 1 Corinthians 2, and God said he was right here. Uh, don't be afraid. God confirms his presence with you. 
Listen, if I could strip away all of your hope except for God, then you would see that that is more than enough. If you have God with you, you have all you need. What more wisdom do you need than what God has? Why are we so quick to run to the wisdom of men and the wisdom of the world when God has given us a book? He's given us a book that we should pour over and we should saturate ourselves in and we should look at the examples of Paul in Acts. We should look at where they go and we should draw out not only our message from this book, but we should draw out our priority of preaching the word to people whether they want to hear it or not. God is with us in this task. Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission, assured us that he would be with us always. What could you have that'd be better than God himself? What could you have? Say, well, I'd like a better opportunity here. I wish I had some more resources. Our, our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the hills and all the gold in the hills. He owns it all. If you have God with you, you don't need anything else. He is sufficient. God confirms his protection. He says, Paul, you're going to preach here, and they're not going to drag you out in the streets and beat you. You're not going to end up under a pile of rocks outside the city. No man's going to set on thee to hurt thee. He confirms his purpose for Paul. He says, be not afraid, but speak. Keep speaking, hold not thy peace, don't stop. And the end of this promise, he says, for I have much people in this city. That's a little phrase I've got underlined. I have much people in this city. What was God saying to Paul? God was saying, I am with you, and this ministry in Corinth is going to be fruitful. There are people uh, like Philip. There are people like Joe and like Jesse and, and others that have been reached in Covina. There are people all over this city that are going to respond to the message of the gospel. They're going to believe. There's lives that are going to be changed. There's families that are going to be forever altered. Family trees that are going to be impacted through the preaching of the gospel. The word is powerful in any culture, in any setting, with any amount of resources. Friends, our only hope is God and his word. And it is a sure hope. It is a powerful hope. What you need most is God. How does that change your priorities? How does that change your prayers? How does that change the way you face your fears? How does that give you confidence? What you need most is God and his word. And he is sufficient. His word is sufficient. Nothing else will do and nothing else will do better. He is our only hope, our best hope, and our sure hope. There's a lot more I could say here, but I want to end with uh, one verse of Scripture, John 16, 33. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
The church planter's only hope is God and his word. The world's only hope is the preaching of God and his word. Do you see God as your only hope? Obviously, if you're a Christian here today, you have seen that he's your only hope of salvation. But I'm asking you here as a student at West Coast Baptist College training to serve God with your life, do you see that God is your only hope? Do you see that? I wonder then why we don't pray like God is our only hope. I wonder why we don't pour over his word, desperate for guidance, diligent to search and study God's instructions for our life and ministry. I wonder why we get impatient. Why we don't know that God is our hope, not just for future ministry, but right now. And that the opportunities we have now, the circumstances we're in now, God is working through them to prepare things down the road for us. I wonder why we're afraid that no one will listen when God has promised to use his word to build his church for his glory. So I ask you, I ask you to get to work in the fields. I, I know you've been working in the fields in Jerusalem. I ask you to look at Judea. I ask you to look at Samaria. I ask you to look to the uttermost parts of the earth. Cling to God and his word. He is your only hope. Be patient like a farmer in a field, like a shepherd tending his sheep to maturity, like a Christian who knows that God is his only hope, and that's enough. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer today. just going to pray briefly and then I believe Dr. Getch is going to come and give you an opportunity while the piano plays to spend some time with the Lord. God, we come to you today and we want to praise you, Lord. There's none like you. Your power is matchless. Your grace is beyond our comprehension. Your love never fails. Your mercies are new every morning. You blessed us with so many opportunities, so many resources, so many partners in ministry right here. But above all of these things, God, you've given us yourself. You dwell in our hearts. You've given us your word. God, we praise you for that. And we confess that we are fools to look to other things for hope. We're fools to trust in our flesh or in our wisdom. Lord, we know nothing. We have no strength. Without you, we can do nothing. Oh, God, we thank you. We thank you that in, in spite of us not even understanding, you have chosen to use ordinary people like us to accomplish your work and this time God help us to seize our opportunities and use them for your glory 
Our hope is in you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.